0: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Ni nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. An exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's LSMRadio.org. Again, LSMRadio.org. Now, here's our show today Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, say, And in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius governed Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to David's city, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. These words introduce the most well-known story in Scripture, that of the birth of Jesus. But it's significant to note that they refer back to a prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Micah. Listen to Micah's words, written hundreds of years before. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, so little to be among the thousands of Judah, from you there will come forth to me he who is to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from ancient times from the days of eternity. Marvelous prophetic words fulfilled in this most well-known story, but we will look at some of the more hidden significances that are unveiled here, and Ed Marx has joined us for this fellowship from the Gospel of Luke. Ed, welcome back.
1: Yeah, Chris, it's good to be back, and like you read those scriptures, Chris, especially Micah 5, two is amazing, written hundreds of years before Christ was born, prophesying that this one You know, the very Christ, who is the very God, would come out of eternity into time with his divinity into humanity and be born in the city of Bethlehem. Hundreds of years this was prophesied before he was born. And Caesar Augustus, he decided to take a census at a particular time which caused Joseph and Mary to return to Bethlehem where Christ was born. This was all under God's sovereignty to fulfill this prophecy in Micah 5, two,
0: It's uh, wonderful, I think, for our faith, for our appreciation in God's Word to have these kinds of realizations, isn't it, Ed, that everything related to the birth of Christ, this most magnificent of all events, is so perfect in the way it coincides and lines up with Scripture, both Old and New Testament.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, Chris, if you study. Of course, the Lord did say that after his resurrection, he told the disciples that everything concerning him had to be fulfilled in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And so the entire Old Testament speaks about Christ and prophesies about the coming Christ in detail. It is really quite remarkable.
0: Ed, in the programs that we've had on this Life Study of Luke, we've been seeing that this gospel of the four particularly brings out the man-savior, as opposed to, as we saw earlier, uh, the king-savior in Matthew. And all of these events, as we see them brought forth by Luke, really reinforce that, don't they?
1: They do. Each gospel presents a particular view of Christ. Like you said, in Matthew, we see Christ as the king-savior. When we come to Mark, we see him as the slave-savior. In Luke, we see him as the man-savior. He was the very God, but he was also a perfect man. And John, you know, just to complete it, John focuses on him as the God Savior, as the very God. So these Gospels present a full biography of Christ from four different angles.
0: Well, uh, now that we're in chapter 2 and enjoying this story of the birth of Christ, uh, if we go a little further, we'll see how that point is reinforced in the first section today. Uh, We'll look at verses 13 and 14 as we prepare to join Witness Lee. They say, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army, praising God and saying, Glory in the highest places to God, and on earth peace among men of his good pleasure. We see in this Man Savior, Ed, the one who brings glory to God in the highest and peace to man. Here's Witness Lee.
2: The birth of the Savior was announced as a gospel. Of great joy. The good news of a great joy to all the people. People here doesn't refer only to the Jewish people, but to the entire mankind. Then a multitude of the heaven army, that means angels, praising God in two aspects, glory in the hast, that means in heaven, to God and on earth, peace among men of his good pleasure. You could see the angel's preaching was in two aspects concerning God's glory and man's peace. The uh, salvation of the civil is just to accomplish these two things: for God's glory in the highest places and for man's peace on this earth. Christ is for God's glory and for man's peace. Then the gospel was preached by the angels to the shepherds. And then the shepherds, after listening the preaching of the angels, they became preachers. And they preached to others. This was his birth.
0: Ed, in some of our programs, we really focused on the speakings that we see in Luke chapter 1, of course, that of Elizabeth and Mary specifically, and then Zechariah. And these ones all had items included in their speaking, whether it was a praise or a prophecy or a blessing that highlighted this dual status of Christ being both man and God that, as we've said now, is particularly a striking hallmark of the Gospel of Luke. And now here, it's interesting, isn't it, that even the angel's proclamation points us to the same thing.
1: Yes, it's fascinating. Of course, as you read, Chris, the angel said, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men of his good pleasure. So you have his dual status here. He is the God man. He is, some theologians say, he's the man God. So this is quite marvelous. And what we see here is firstly that Christ is for God's glory. And God's glory is God's expression. You know, Chris, of course, this was fully fulfilled in Christ's entire life, his all-inclusive death, his resurrection. Eventually, when we receive Christ as our Savior, Colossians 1.27 tells us that he now lives in us as the hope of glory. He is the hope of glory. So he is in our spirit as the hope of glory and as we open to him, as we pray to him. He spreads from our spirit into our soul to transform us. Eventually, he saturates our body until he's fully expressed in our entire tripartite being, and God is expressed fully in us. This is quite marvelous. And on the other hand, he's not just for God's glory. He's for man's peace. And if you read Ephesians 2.15, tells us that Christ himself is our peace. That on the cross, he crucified all the dividing factors among mankind. Specifically, it says he abolished in his flesh the law of the commandments in ordinances. And ordinances are forms or ways of living and worship. You know, each race, each culture has their habits has their customs, has their traditions, has their ways of living, their ways of worship. These divide mankind. But when Christ died on the cross, he nailed all these ordinances to the cross, and now he himself is our peace. It's just marvelous. He is the peacemaker. There's no peace on this earth. But we can testify that as believers— we have people from all races, all cultures. I told some young people this morning that in the church, that's the real rainbow coalition. Because you have people from all races, but Colossians 3:10 and 11 tells us that in the new man, which is the church, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no race, no culture, but Christ is all and in all. And this Christ is our peace. So this is quite marvelous that he's for God's glory, he's for man's peace.
0: Ed, we want to go on and uh, look at something related specifically to the whole story that's accounted here in chapter 2. You mentioned earlier the four gospels and how they each highlight a little different aspect of Christ's uh, birth, his ministry, his living. This one in Luke seems to be especially the account of his birth, particularly tender, sweet. It's very poetic in its structure. And one of the hymns that depicts the birth of Christ, the really the incarnation, that was a particular favorite, I believe, of Witness Lee and one that is familiar and known to all believers and probably a good number of unbelievers because it's so commonly sung at the uh, Christmas season of the year. Was Charles Wesley's famous hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? It seems as when we get into that hymn and Witnessley referred to it in several instances during the course of his ministry, it does seem to depict or catch the flavor, tone that Luke expresses in this chapter. So I thought for this section of our fellowship, Ed, it might be good if we focused on this hymn a little bit. As I said, Witnessley referred to it when he gave this message. And it does bring forth not just some wonderful words that we're all familiar with, especially now I'm talking about the first verse, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild god and sinners reconciled joyful all ye nations rise join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim christ is born in bethlehem this part familiar to all but really the next three verses particularly verse two and verse four are particularly deep quite wonderful and very high in what they express not just of this well-known story, but really touching some of the high points in God's economy. So with that, as a background, let me read verse 2 and then ask you to comment. How's that? Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, verse 2 says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity
1: pleased with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Chris, when Charles Wesley wrote this, he was so inspired by the Lord. And uh, and this second stanza that you read really shows us God's eternal intention. Because what you see here, of course, it says that Christ was the offspring of a virgin's womb. And Matthew 1, verses 18 and 20, tells us, that Christ was born of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit generated something in the womb of this virgin. Actually, God himself came into this virgin's womb, and he was mingled with humanity to issue in this wonderful God-man who is Christ. This stanza says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Colossians nine tells us that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Now, when he put on a human body, within his body was all the fullness of the Godhead. And when we say the fullness of the Godhead here, what we're talking about is not merely the riches of what God is, but the expression of the riches of what God is. So, Within Christ, he was filled with the riches of what God is to the brim, and as a result, these riches were overflowing from within him, and he was the expression of the unsearchable riches of what God is, and this is just quite marvelous, and what you see in Luke is that all the divine attributes filled his human virtues and were expressed through his human virtues in various ways in just a marvelous way you could see the very god expressed in his human virtues and then this goes on to say please this man with man to dwell jesus our emmanuel i love this chris we all need to declare as believers that jesus is our emmanuel emmanuel means god with us god with us And he promises, you know, in the book of Matthew, he says, I will be with you all the days until the consummation of the age. We can testify that he is with us on this broadcast. Even it says where two or three are gathered together, the Lord promises, there I am in your midst. So he's with us in our gatherings. You and I are here, we're two. But we're not here just two. There's a third one here with us, and that's the Lord Jesus. He's our Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Of course we have many listeners out there meeting with us right now. And also 2 Timothy 4:22 says the Lord is with our spirit. Now that Christ has come into us, he is the Emmanuel. He is with us. Where is he with us? He's with our spirit. He's dwelling within us. So he's our Emmanuel in a very experiential and subjective way. We enjoy his presence, his indwelling presence every day.
0: So a lot is conveyed in that phrase, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Ed, before we go on, we want to also spend a moment to talk about verse 4. We'll jump over verse 3, but it is also very rich. I want to go back and ask you about this phrase, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. I think there's something here for us as well. He doesn't say a part of the Godhead. Or a third of the
1: Godhead, does he? No, he doesn't. And Colossians 2.9 says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. That means he is the embodiment of the triune God. He is, you could say, he is the triune God man. He is not 33 and a third percent of God. He is the entire triune God. If you look in the Bible, it's very interesting. On the one hand, Christ says, When you see me, you see the Father. And he says, the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. And, of course, we know he's the Son. Of course, he's the Son of God. Paul also says in Second Corinthians 3.17, the Lord is the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45 tells us that Christ, as the last Adam, became a life-giving Spirit. This shows that the entire triune God dwelt in him in bodily form.
0: I am uh, very glad you brought up 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five there because it actually shows up in verse 4, and I think we'll see it as we get to that point. Let's read this verse. Come, desire of nations come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place, final Adam from
1: above reinstate us in thy love. Oh, Chris, this verse is so powerful. It talks about Christ as the desire of the nations. Actually, everyone in this world, they long for peace and joy and and intangible things that money and power and position can't give them. Really, Christ is what everyone is longing for, He is the desire of nations. And then there's a prayer here, fix in us your humble home. This should be our prayer. Lord, make your home in my heart. This is what he wants to do. He wants to dwell in us. Then it talks about Christ as the conquering seed. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, which prophesies that the woman's seed would bruise the head of the serpent. So then there's a prayer here, which we need to pray, Lord, bruise in us the serpent's head. That's a subjective experiential prayer. Eventually, the prayer goes on that Adam's likeness would be effaced in us and Christ's image would be stamped in its place so that we would express Christ. And eventually, as the last Adam who became the life-giving spirit, like we said, he dispenses himself into us as life and he reinstates us in his love. Now we can testify we just love the Lord Jesus. He is our first love because as the life-giving spirit, he has dispensed himself into us, and we love him to the uttermost.
0: And I've really enjoyed this fellowship over Charles Wesley's hymn because it so marvelously encapsulates some of the high points of the ministry that we try to bring forth each day in this life study, doesn't it?
1: It really does, Chris. It's very, very rich.
0: And, Ed, it's a very short section, but it's set up quite well by these verses at the end of chapter 2. And this is the story where Jesus, as a young boy, just 12 years old, is speaking in the temple with the scribes and Pharisees, the things of God, and opening up Scripture even at that time. And his parents have now left to go back home, and they lose track of him for a few days. And, of course, they're quite concerned, but uh, he gets restored. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 49. And he said to them, Why is it you were seeking me? did you not know that I must be in the things of my father? And they did not understand the word which he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother carefully kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and stature and in favor with God
2: and men. On the one hand, he was caring for God's interest. On the other hand, he was still submissive. To his parents because he was the son of God who should take care of the heavenly father's interest. And meantime, he was also the son of man. He should be submissive to his flesh parents. Of the son of God, he was caring for God's interest. Of the son of man, he was obedient to his Flesh parents. Then he was advancing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, both God and man were happy with the man-child Jesus.
0: Ed, that was a very short, but uh, makes a strong point, that section, and a good one to conclude on today, don't you believe, about his pleasing both God and man.
1: Chris, that was remarkable, as you read and brotherly shared, how, as a 12-year-old boy, when they were concerned about him, they went back to look for him, and he said, I must be in the things of my father, my father, indicating that God was his father. As some translations say, I must be in my father's house which means that even as a 12-year-old, he cared uniquely for God the Father's interest. What is God the Father's interest? He wants a house, a living house. This house is the body of Christ. Constantly, this house is the new Jerusalem. This is what he cared for. On the other hand, right after that, it said he submitted himself to his parents. This shows the divine attributes becoming his human virtues even as a young boy. So this is quite marvelous. So on the one hand, he was in favor with God. This means he was growing in the expression of God according to God's desire. On the other hand, he was in favor with man, meaning he was growing in human virtues, which were very gracious and pleasing to men as they observed him. This is our man's savior. My appetite is so whetted once again to get
0: into these things that on the one hand, like Wesley's hymn, we know the story, we tend to take for granted. Uh, but when we touch it again in a fresh way and in the light that uh, this ministry brings to these verses and these portions, what a marvelous realization that we have of the Christ as the Man Savior. This is very fresh to me. How about you?
1: Yeah, Chris, and one thing we have to realize, there are many things in Luke that aren't mentioned in the other Gospels, just like this story about them trying to find him in the temple. Right. You can't find it in the other Gospels. And even you and I, when we were in Israel together, we went to a city called Nain, right. where the Lord raised this widow's son from the dead. It's only recorded in Luke to show what a wonderful God-man he was and how the divine attributes were expressed in his human virtues in such a marvelous way. I could never forget when we were in Israel together and saw that small town Which is only mentioned in Luke to show that he's the man Savior.
0: That story that you're talking about, it's remarkable, and it unveils a side of Christ, as you said, we only get to see really in this Gospel of Luke. So marvelous in the Lord's sovereignty that uh, Luke has such a portion to play in the unveiling of our man Savior. Ed, I fondly remember those days in Israel again. I hope we get a chance in the Lord's grace and sovereignty to go back sometime when there is peace in the land.
1: Yeah, I hope so too, Chris. If not, we'll be there when the Lord returns. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Brother Ed. Okay, our time is up. We would uh, invite you to uh, contact us. We would love to hear from you. We've been getting some tremendous calls uh We can tell you about the printed material we have, but mostly just to have fellowship with you and hear your reaction, get your own testimony of how these verses are opening up to you. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. You can write to us, of course, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814, or send email to radio at lsm.org. For Ed Marks, I'm Chris Wild. Thank you for listening today.
2: Dear Lord, we give ourselves to Thee, receive us into Thy wise hands.
0: Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense His life and nature into redeemed man, so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs, just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.